take my hand. Now, open your mind to me. Please. Open your mind. Open your mind. Open your mind. This is Monica Perez waking Atlanta up to the true threats to our liberty every Saturday from 3 to 6 right here on 95.5 WSB. And the true threat to our liberty of the week, year, decade, century, and millennium is this U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement. It's replacing NAFTA, and it is very similar to the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Trade Partnership, that everybody praised Trump for saying he was getting rid of it, he didn't want any part of it. And I did say at the time, hey, man, you got to watch out what this stuff is going to be replaced with. Now, I thought there was two possibilities. One was that we really were turning inward on a lot of these things so that we could be prepared for a big war or that it was a bait and switch and that that the only it was that hashtag it will take a Republican. It's only that or what I coined to be the contrary law of democracy, where only your side can bring you what you don't want because you would put up too much resistance if somebody else were bringing it to you. So if Obama is trying to bring it to TPP, that's not going to work. But for Trump to do something very similar, and I'm going to lay out how they're similar and what's not okay about it, that that's doesn't meet any resistance. And as a matter of fact, it passed this week in the House 385 to 41, almost uh, 193 Democrats and 192 Republicans voted in favor of it. I applaud the Republicans who didn't. Thomas Massey, uh, there was another guy who I never heard of before. Ted Yoho or something? Anyway, and then who I will keep an eye on. No short shrift intended. And then Justin Amash, who became an independent and is kind of has Trump derangement syndrome, I guess, what Reggie would have said. But uh, other than that, he's always rock solid. So he also voted against the USMCA. So I applaud those guys. But let's go to the Senate. It is expected to sail through the Senate and right after the break. If there's any way to, to stop it, I would, if anybody out there is an activist, understands how to do it, wants to get behind leading the charge, I'll, I'll do what I can. I'll certainly tell people about it, about your efforts. You can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Binkley, before we get into that, I don't want to exhaust people with too much policy. This is pretty interesting, though. This isn't just like one line item. This is bigger picture stuff. Let's uh, open it up to some tweets. You got a couple of tweets? I do. I have one from Nationalist. He says, Trump threw out their brand of globalism. But if you think about it, he's talking about the USMCA. He says, but if you think about it... uh, I wouldn't put it past Trump to create a global system where we are in control of it and let others join it. That's very interesting. That tweet has two parts. One is that he threw out their brand of globalism. Now, that's the lie. That's what Wall Street Journal says. That was the that was an article this week. It said trade policy breaks with the past. I knew that was baloney because I had just read an extensive or comprehensive review of the USMCA compared with the TPP. It was from Ottawa Law School, professor from Ottawa Law School. 
And he actually asks the question, like the purpose of his essay, because he wanted to call Trump's BS. You know, he doesn't like Trump. So he said, is this really a break from the past? And he and he first he lays out all the similarities it has with the TPP, which is, as I said earlier, 57 percent of the text, 95 percent of the chapters, 72 percent of the articles in those chapters straight out of the TPP. So it's clearly a, a carbon copy of the TPP, practically. But. He also, this professor, addresses kind of the more qualitative question, is this a continuation of the establishment model, which he defines as you maximize trade, you maximize the actual benefits of trade to the the country, and then you take that surplus and you redistribute it internally. It's like real socialism, I guess. So... That's the kind of Obama model. And the Trump model supposedly is cut deals to keep jobs at home so that people have more jobs and it's not about uh, any kind of big picture net benefit that it's really a zero-sum game and we're just going to keep some for ourselves. So this guy goes through line by line. I mean, it's, I don't know how many pages, at least 20 or 30 pages, and says this is clearly a continuation of our existing trade regime. And I'm not sure I got out of his thing, but I've, I've read certain articles of it that illuminate kind of how this is a globalist structure. So the second part of that tweet was, this is, I wouldn't put it past Trump to set up a global structure that, quote, we then control. Who is we? Because Trump will be gone. And I mean, that's like when Obama created his kingdom the, the Democrats should have thought, well, what if a Republican gets in there? And now, instead of calling for restoration of the 10th Amendment, they're, they're probably really in their hearts want more globalism, which is why the mayors kind of go to these international conferences now. And I mean, it's, it's, you, you can't do that. And in Trump's trade representative, who is in charge of this, Robert Lighthizer, is a member of the Council of Foreign Relations. That is the globalist organization. I can't believe they haven't like changed their name or dissolved and reinvented itself. It is globalism. That's what it is. That's what it's there for. And one of their guys, I didn't even realize this guy was a CFR guy. Not only is he a CFR guy, this article that I was reading about it, I was like, oh, this guy sounds like a CFR guy. So I was, I, I was like, where? Let me, let me see if he's in the CFR. So I, I typed in his name, Frazier Cameron. And not only is he in the CFR, the article I was reading was originally published on the CFR website. <laughs> and, and the guy says that what you what that the European this is a 20, 2010 article, the European Union is a model for regional integration. And he says to do to get to this like kind of world. A, a re, so the big picture idea is they create regional trade blocks and then they stitch them all together and then you have. A de facto world government, which doesn't even necessarily have to have a constitution or anything, if you have no ability to function economically outside their economic system, I mean, with credit scores and cashless society and getting people out of not being able to use land, that's a U.S., that's a U.N. thing. This Habitat One was like, you can have everything but land. You can have private property, but nobody has access to kind of self-sustaining land. And he said... First, you start with political reconciliation if necessary, which is not necessary here. A free trade area is next, then a customs union, then a single market, then a single currency, then a common passport area, and finally, common foreign policy. So these are the stepping stones, and we're walking down that road. And it's not for some Trump 
dynasty. It's for it's for the CFR. That's what it's going to be. So what and and it seems to me that they absolutely wanted to get this thing in without anybody noticing. Pelosi released this her announcement that they had reached a deal on this within two hours of releasing the articles of impeachment to the public. And our guy, Lighthizer, was in Mexico City at that moment, pen in hand with the representative from Canada and the president of Mexico. And they signed it the same day that Pelosi was like, after a year of wrangling, we finally made this deal. And Lighthizer was like, it's a miracle that we got this bipartisan deal. And I was like, really? You know what's a real miracle? Is that you were sitting there with a pen in your hand in Mexico with the Canadian chick. (laughs) And you guys are all, you know, wow, wow. Who would have known this miracle would come at this moment and that we'd be sitting here? Weird. Anyway, and it's not a free trade agreement. It's a thousand pages. That is a highly controlled trade agreement. And uh, one of the there's four really noteworthy chapters in it. And one of them I want to hit first because it's so telling about what's coming now. The biggest stumbling point Pelosi said or was reported that Pelosi said from her office was that they didn't want the USMCA to lock in Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. So we have this Communications Decency Act here. Section 230 is considered the 26 words that created the Internet. It's it's this. No provider or user. These are the 26 words. No provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. So that if you have a, a platform you're not responsible for the words that people put out on that platform. And that way, internet service providers could exist and we could populate that without us worrying about liability. So she did not want that anywhere near the USMCA because she's trying to get that changed here because they say that words are dangerous and we need to rein them back in now. And I've always said that limited hangout, internet was limited hangout and they've got to claw it back. So... So they modified it a bit in the USMCA. So they said, yes, you don't have liability, but you also don't have liability for censorship. They don't have liability for censorship. So these social media platforms or any kind of internet service provider can, at its own whim, decide what what gets suppressed and what doesn't. Now, that might be okay if it was a truly private enterprise acting in good faith. But Binkley, you are going to show us through clips that that that's not how it works, that these organizations are pressured by the government to do the government's bidding and censorship because the government can't do it itself. So we're going to play some. Let's take a quick break and then we're going to dive into a couple of very telling clips that you have. And then I'll tell you the other three issues with the USMCA to chew on and hopefully get you to think about whether you want to give a call to your senator or not. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Maybe it's something really cool that I don't even know about, you know. On 95.5 WSB, Atlantis News and Talk. As much as I am very happy with the holiday season, I do feel like they slipped this policy stuff in and we have got to address it. But the USMCA has something that people find very interesting it's the section 230 the 26 words that created the internet of our communications decency act and a lot of lawmakers are trying to get it repealed at home so that sir so that basically anyone who facilitates what you post is liable for the content and that will really shut down diversity of opinion and then you're just going to have your entire twitter feed will be blue check marks i mean that's it 
If you don't know what that means, it means all your news, all of it is going to come from the big six. So the big six, there's big, six companies that own like 95% of the media in this country or at least 80%. Well, it would be. And you know what, Binkley, you were telling me about that Google News initiative and Facebook and all. There's a lot of stuff going on right now that basically will make sure that all of our news comes from a, a source that is that has been given the imprimatur of authority. And they probably will have a liability shield. Yeah, it's all about creating these authoritative sources, whether it's through you have to be the one who the only one who can uh, determine if something's a deep fake or whether your uh, your sources have been vetted. They're trying to eliminate all the kind of independent news. Yeah. And it'll be like medical stuff where the only the only way you can get I think if I understand it correctly, medical malpractice is basically that your doctor did something other than what is recommended by the industry as a whole. So it has nothing to do with his intentions, his information, whether it's uh, it was a valid thing like normal tort would be. It's about did he implement what the authorities told him to implement? And if he didn't, you can sue him. So I think it's like that. I, uh, you had played it. This completely reminded me of a couple of clips that you had played for me on our podcast, Propaganda Report. And I wanted you to, I don't even, I don't even remember what it was yet. So this is at CFR. Who is it? And then play it. Clip nine. Who is it? This is Richard Stingle, who he used to work for the, the State Department, and he's the former editor of Time Magazine, and he famously, on the internet anyway, promoted the use of propaganda a few years ago. And this um, is him talking to CFR? Yes. Or at the CFR? This is him at a CFR panel on how to stop the tide of global disinformation. All right, let's hear it. Clip nine. All right. Act, which basically gives all of these companies zero liability for the content that they publish because it's third-party content. Now, when it was written, when you write a law to incentivize some behavior, like you write a law saying, hey, uh, we need to have more people go to Staten Island. Let's, you know, I'm going to create a law where you can build a bridge, you can have a toll for it for 10 years, but then you change the law. The law from 1996 did incentivize this in a massive way, in a way that's unintendedly created all of this other stuff needs to be changed now. These platforms need to make a good faith effort to do that. I think that's completely wrong. What he's talking about is it's Amazon has a similar problem. Are they responsible for hovercrafts blowing up? And the parallel has been drawn. So is Amazon a retailer or is it a mall? So if you bought something at Spencer's at the mall is the mall responsible for damages you incur it would be very difficult to hold the mall responsible for every trinket sold in every one of their malls you know so you don't do it that way and the consumers understand that and besides buyer beware I mean that they have really worked hard to say to try to demonstrate that words are actions that words cause real harm and then they perhaps even promote there are some cases where i believe the pulse nightclub shooting where the guy had been taken in by the fbi his father was photographed in the oval office at one point or in the white house that it may be that they they let these things happen on purpose so they can demonstrate that bad things can happen on the internet 
and real people get hurt. And my argument is, even if they do want to monitor that stuff and surveil it and stop it, the way the surveillance state works, they have total control. Try, I mean, I'm not suggesting you try to do it, but if no one listening to me would have the nerve, and I don't think you should, of testing the limits of where, of where, how much you could say jokingly or whatever. I mean, look at the case of Justin Carter. He said something stupid uh, regarding like a video game, which which saw some mom in Canada thought was real, but he immediately wrote JK. He was in jail for a long time. For years, he's been waiting for a trial. Look up Justin Carter. They are all over you. You don't need to have what's called prior restraint. That is unconstitutional. We're going to play a little follow-up on that after the break, and then I'll tell you the other three things that I worry about with the USMCA. This is Monica Perez. Live and festive in the Publix Holiday Headquarters studio at 95.5 WSB. Monica Perez. This will not stand, you know? This aggression will not stand, man. On 95.5 WSB, Atlantis News and Talk. We have to dig into this USMCA thing. They are going to pass it in the Senate. They already passed it overwhelmingly, bipartisanly in Congress, and they're going to pass it probably. I wouldn't be surprised if Senate passes it the day they get back from break. So if you want to... Register your protest. Now's the time. But they're slipping it in like they did the Fed on Christmas Eve in 1913, (laughs) I think. Anyway, so one thing. So I want to tell you the four articles. If you're going to read anything, the four chapters you should read, 19, 27, 30, and 32. 19 is this where they protect the content providers on the Internet from liability for what's said, but they also protect them from liability for censoring what's said. So and the censorship is they're allowed to do it at their own discretion. Now, if it was a private platform, I'd be fine with that. But it's the way they've been funded in the past that they are I consider to be that we own them, that I think that the taxpayer has contributed so much to that technology that we should consider it a public asset. I don't believe in public assets, but they took the money, they built it and we should have access to it. Certainly, it should be treated like many private places are treated as far as you can't even restrict free speech under certain circumstances in private establishments. So they then say that these guys can use their own discretion to censor. But on the same time, they look at the censor, they behind the scenes try to encourage these guys to do what they want censorship wise. And I have a passage from the USMCA that talks about doing just that. And Binkley here has a clip from a CFR. I think this was the same guy. We played a clip before the break from clip nine. And it's again, this Richard Stengel, who is, I think we could call him a paid propagandist reporting to the CFR on how to, how to get what they want done, which is censorship and propaganda. Mm-hmm. which he has actually owned. He has actually said propaganda is not a bad thing. Yeah. And boy, I get trolled for that. It's not trolled when you are people are legitimately objecting to something really awful that you're saying. <laughs> trolled is what you do when you pay people to <laughs> harass me. Anyway, so so what is this now? This is this is this year, right? This yeah, is this is year? a couple of weeks ago. Oh, all right. Great. Interesting. All right. So play uh, clip 11, please. Platforms have their own constitutions. They're called terms of service agreements. They, are not, they don't have to abide by the First Amendment as private companies. Those need to be much stricter about content closer to what the, what the EU regards as hate speech and other, uh, other uh, 
countries do. There's a phrase called dangerous speech, which is speech that indirectly leads to violence. I think we have to be stricter about that. And, and, I, and, 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 and the platforms can do that because they are private entities. So the American Revolution was was violence instigated by dangerous speech, just so you know. And it was totally justified because, it, assuming the story is true, because it was in retaliation for an oppressive government that stepped outside the lines. And that's why they enshrined the First Amendment for us. And even didn't Thomas Jefferson say that the the soil should run red with the blood of of revolutionists and tyrants every yeah. 20 years? Yeah. <laughs> that's probably what it would have taken. But they're talking about he is talking. First of all, the terms of service agreements that he's talking about, I got taken down from WordPress and I got one of my videos taken down from YouTube and it was just a matter of time. So I kind of stopped putting political stuff up there. I think Twitter just changed the term of service. I expect that I'll probably get booted from that, too. But they don't tell you why the terms of service don't matter. I didn't violate the terms of service. They don't tell you why you can't appeal it. They say that you can. They say that they'll respond. They do not respond. So. It doesn't matter. They're not constitutions. They're BS. And they this guy clearly is telling them what to do with them. He's saying that he wants to rewrite their constitutions. Whatever quid pro quo is at work behind the scenes, those guys follow their orders. That's why I always think that Travis Kalanick from Uber got pushed out because he wouldn't cooperate with the authorities on using Uber for surveillance. And they were like, what do you think we put you here for, buddy? Out. <laughs> you know, he thinks he's the guy, but... He never would have gotten anywhere if the laws did not yield for Uber to take the place of the taxi monopoly. So there's always something. You got to pay the piper. Yeah, and he's also talking about adhering to the EU standards. Yes, it's all about globalization. It's all about regularization. And that is what these these regional trade deals do. They they It's what Rosa Quar said in the Behind the Green Mask, that they have to make all the systems regular so they can stitch the regulated, like similar to each other, work the same way, so they can stitch them up and control them centrally from afar. And they can't do that if they have to figure out different systems. So that's why they want, they probably don't even care so much what the system does look like. They'd rather have a uniform system, but they also would love to just have it highly controlled. And since they're running the show and nobody seems to notice, I think they are able to get the way they want. But just one little tidbit, I didn't see anybody else highlight, but I found it in the USMCA. It said that they are uh, one of the parties to the agreement, Mexico, Canada, the U.S., may adopt or maintain measures to encourage company management to make statements in their annual reports or otherwise publicly disclose their internal controls. And it goes on and on to say how they they should publicly denounce corruption and they should talk about how they're attacking corruption. And that all sounds good. But the reality is, so this is all about, it says the, the it's Article 27.5. It's in the anti-corruption section. And it's the, and I think the anti-corruption actions around the world are about targeting specific people. Let's just say everyone's corrupt. Let's say all people in power are corrupt. I mean, let's just say that absolute power corrupts and power corrupts. So you could pretty much target whoever you wanted. And they, who, so that's why I feel like this anti-corruption witch hunt stuff is all about just targeting the people you want out and leaving in place the people you're fine with. So I'm not a fan of this globally controlled, quote, anti-corruption renegade pirate force where the feds team up with George Soros and decide who's corrupt and then forfeit their, take their assets or whatever it is that they do in each particular case. 
And this is talking about getting, it says participation of private sector and society. It is talking in the USMCA about how you co-opt the private sector to do your bidding. And when they say just encourage them to do it, why wouldn't they say, screw you? Like, why wouldn't they say that? You know, there's an answer. They wouldn't say that because you don't get to say that. They get to say that, (laughs) you know? So that's why when that guy says they need to crack down on their terms of service, he means it. Yeah, it's the same type of pressure campaign that was put on the media prior to World War I. Uh, like, give me an example. What do you mean? The example was that they were going to, that Germany was going to be the enemy, and they these propagandists, the uh, Committee oh. on Public Information, went out and they, pre- they same type of language, yeah. same type of approach. There was a lot of that in those other clips that you played for us on that episode. I think it was episode 186 of the Propaganda Report. It's it's could easily be a portent, a harbinger. Yeah, war. there you go. So there's two other chapters here. One is the the one that these are the really where the rubber hits the road, in my opinion, about this thing being a truly globalist organization. One is in chapter 30, they establish a free trade commission. This this also reminds me of that North North American Union document of William Weld and Heidi Cruz. They wrote for the CFR about how the North American Union would work. This is clearly part of that. And Lighthizer, who's behind this and in front of it, is a CFR guy. So these names. Why? Lighthizer. Well, that's also... his name. <laughs> <laughs> and Cruz and Weld. You could maybe read stuff into them, but they're the real names. So here's this this establishment of the Free Trade Commission. It seems to, as I read in one analysis of it, make this thing a living document. So it it puts in rules of procedure and dispute resolution, proposals to amend or modify the agreement itself, and then it tell it it uh, it it throws in there. It can adjust tariff preferential levels, the rule of origin, which was a hard one thing by Trump. Like this is his like we this is for the American worker that is specifically named as something this free trade commission can change without going back to the parties. So it's so whatever is in there now, I'm not sure you can count on kind of any of it being immutable. So the deal that you signed on to doesn't mean anything if the if the new entity now can make its own rules and change the terms of the agreement. So they can change the whole thing. It's possible. I mean, I I, I don't. If you just, I'm not sure you can always just read this stuff on its face, but an ana- but it looks like that. And an analysis I read about it said that. Uh, I think it was the New American, the New American. I think you know. I I don't know what to think of that. I have questions about that publication, but it does have some good stuff on anti-globalism. So that's the one thing. That's chapter 30. Chapter 32, which I think is the tell of how this is purely globalistic. And if you will recall, and I'm sure you will because I've said it a few times, that the I predicted that the delay in coming up with an agreement with China was that they wanted to see the final terms of the USMCA. And I didn't think it would be like within days, but actually it was within days when they said, okay, the USMCA is now settled. We know what we're doing. Then within a couple of days, they said, okay, this is what the China deal is going to look like. And in the Wall Street Journal, it does say that the USMCA is a template for future deals like around the world. Well, and since it was based on the Trans-Pacific Trade Partnership, I assume that that is, uh, uh, is true. 
But there's an this chapter 32 says it's that non-market if you make an agreement, a unilateral agreement with a non-market country. So if the US makes an agreement with China, that can get the United States kicked out of this USMCA. So what does that mean? It would not be cool to have such a massive thousand page law that regulates every bit of trade. A lot of industries depend on it. I mean, it's digital, it's services, it's farming, it's machinery, it's labor, it's all that stuff. You sign on to this, people spend billions, if, if not trillions, in reliance on it. You can't just get kicked out. I believe, now I don't know where the actual passage I could not find the passage, so I'm not positive, but I think the remedy is that you that the other two guys, they can either approve it, kick you out, or possibly ask for the same terms as you got. So if if we get a deal with China and then Mexico and Canada say we're kicking you out unless you can get China to sign on to that deal with us, China knows that already, like today, yesterday, they know that already. So it's they ha- everyone has to be addressing that question right now. So why would you even go forward with a free trade agreement unilaterally without understanding that it is going to plug in somehow with the USMCA? Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but that's probably the goal. And I look to the same kind of thing for Brexit. I could not figure out if Brexit was for real or what. I was pretty confident that that Rupert Murdoch was not promoting Brexit because he's against globalism. I just, that's that UK, US, Australian, multi-media oligarch is not against globalism. So he kind of, he promoted Brexit and here it, it does appear to be coming. And my only thought on that is that, that they are going to make a deal with us that's going to plug in and then maybe bridge with Europe. I don't know. But I feel like that's where it's a globalist thing, where all the systems, all the regions kind of consolidate among themselves. And then you just have those zippers along the ocean that just zip right up. And then you have actual globalism. That's kind of similar to the tweet from earlier saying that Trump would break it up and then kind of start a globalism that we control. That's what I'm saying, but yeah. we're not controlling it. It's right, the CFR exactly. that's controlling it. They're writing it. They're promoting it. They're planning it. They write articles of how this is the first step in it and what is the end game. It's not, I mean, Trump will be dead by the time. Who's it going to be, Ivanka? And even then, who runs her? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So so we'll see. Anyway, I'm happy to get reactions or we can just kind of tie it up in a bow <laughs> for this season. Right after the break, this is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. You maniac! You blow it up! On 95.5 WSB, Atlantis News and Talk. We are wrapping it up, our last show before Christmas. I, As a mom, I find myself getting very busy, not super stressed out, but not as like just really being able to enjoy the what should be kind of a break. But anyway, I do really have the Christmas spirit. And as my present to you, I am going to wrap up in a bow the USMCA issues because so many people have tweeted at me and asked me, like, what's wrong with it? Nobody can put their finger on what's wrong with it. So I'm just going to direct you to four things. Article 19 gives liability protection to Internet providers for 
arbitrary censorship, which I wouldn't even care about, except for that we also have evidence that behind the scenes, even in the USMCA, they are not above or below trying to influence or nudge private or quasi-private entities to to saying what they want through propaganda, censorship. That's what they do. So that's uh, a backdoor to subverting the First Amendment. Article 27 kind of lays out, shows you that they are intending to nudge private sector to promote their agenda. Well, it looks like a fine agenda in Article 27, but it just shows you that that's what they're doing. You could also go back and look at the North American Union document that William Wild and Heidi Cruz signed. That'll tell you kind of maybe a more robust version of where this is headed. And, and how do I know that it's going to be headed to a more robust version? Because in Article 30, it talks about how it establishes a free trade commission, and that commission has some power, if not total power, to change this document and to, to modify or set uh, dispute resolution rules. And that's actually very important, because if you can't use your laws to resolve disputes, you might have no power against a global corporation, if you've ever been uh, subject to an arbitration clause, you might find that a company that uses arbitration a lot, those arbitration companies quite often, I hate to say it, but are captive to the corporations. I mean, I've, I've seen it where the corporation always wins, always. So if you have this commission and there's regulatory capture so that the global transnational corporations have all the power, you as an entrepreneur won't have any power. That is another bit of globalism keeps us from having, you know, then everybody is just a wage slave or whatever. And then the final thing, chapter 32, is about non-market trade agreements. So Trump wants you to think that he's going out cutting all all these one-off deals, but those one-off deals will blow up this deal. And I don't think that's the plan. So... This isn't about, well, he had to compromise. This is a global globalist extension of past U.S. trade direction. It is, in some respects, a mirror image of TPP. And with that, I will say, Merry Christmas. Thank you for being here. And we will be back, basically, uh, the next couple of Saturdays from 3 to 6. And we also have a show on New Year's Eve which I hope to uh, make very fun and lighthearted. Thank you very much. This is Monica Perez.